0: That thought coursed through Betty and Barney Hill's mind as they drove down the empty winding country road in New Hampshire's White Mountains. It was a September night in 1961, and they hadn't seen a car for miles, and a strange light in the sky seemed to follow them. When they finally got home to Portsmouth at dawn, they were far from relieved. They felt dirty. Their watches stopped working. Barney's shoes were strangely scuffed and Betty's dress was ripped. There were two hours of the drive that neither of them could remember what had happened. Welcome to the Higher Theories Conspiracy Podcast, I am your host, Jamie. On today's episode, hello aliens. Today we discuss some interesting tales of alien encounters, have extraterrestrials visited our planet, have they been spying on us through ancient satellites, maybe we're alone. You can find Higher Theories on Instagram, Spotify, YouTube. Apple and Google Podcast, Amazon Music, and anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. To date, there have been over 100,000 UFO sightings and alien encounters. Many have been proven false, but over 40% remain unsolved, meaning no one knew where these flying objects came from. Some, they even had recovered parts from a damaged craft, and still have no idea what it is. On today's episode, I am going to cover a few notable UFO encounters. These stories include bone-chilling encounters with extraterrestrials, abductions, and maybe even death. On the evening of September 19, 1961, the skies over New Hampshire's western slope did not foretell the rain and winds that Tropical Storm Esther would deliver on southern New Hampshire's seacoast region only two days later. It was a warm, starry, moonlit night, and Betty and Barney were taking in the familiar scenic views that they had grown to love. The hills were relaxed and enjoying the view during the last leg of their journey home. As Betty sat in the passenger seat of her 1957 Chevy, Barney maneuvered south along the state's major north-south route, connecting New Hampshire's Wilderness Region to US Interstate Highway 93 in Ashland. Betty's interest was aroused by what she first thought was a falling star, until it suddenly came to a stop in the southwestern sky. As it inched its way upwards, she thought she was taking in her first observation of a satellite. Her father was excited about the space program, frequently venturing outside at night to search the sky for satellites, but Betty had not joined him in that activity. When it's left its even course, ascending toward the moon, and stopped, Betty's curiosity peaked. This unique craft so sparked her curiosity that she insisted that Barney stop at the side of the road in order to look at it himself. She was dumbfounded as she observed it take on an unconventional, erratic flight pattern and travel across the face of the moon. By the time she handed the binoculars to Barney, the object had again changed course and seemed to be rapidly descending in their direction. Barney, a conservative pragmatic thinker, planned to explain away Betty's interest by assuring her that she had spied a conventional airliner en route to Canada. Yet, when he viewed the craft through binoculars, He too observed its unconventional flight and lightning patterns. As he drove south on Route 3, Betty and Barney were awestruck by the perplexing object. Its rapidly changed direction, ascending and descending vertically and hovering motionless in the sky. This enigmatic phenomenon both plagued Barney's interest and confounded his sensibility. His intellect, no-nonsense attitude left no room for the nonsensical belief in flying saucers. However, although he remained cool for Betty's sake, he was quietly ruminating about the remarkable sight. He entertained the idea of ending their dilemma by stopping at a cabin for the night. However, he continued to motor his way along Route 3, stopping briefly from time to time Taken take in a game of cat and mouse that the ever descending silent craft seemed to be playing with them. Then, as they motored around a slight curve near Indian Head, a natural granite rock formation resembling a Native American profile just south of the narrow valley through Francona Notch, they entered a wide expanse. Almost directly in their path, the couple encountered the flattened circular disk hovering silently an estimated 80 to 100 feet above their vehicle. Barney rapidly brought the car to a halt in the middle of the road and grabbed his binoculars for a closer look, opening the door for a less encumbered view. Quickly in an arching movement, it shifted from its location directly ahead and rested above the treetops in an adjacent field. Barney pocketed Betty's handgun and walked towards it. The silent, enigmatic craft was huge, maybe sixty to eighty feet in diameter, with a double row of rectangular windows extending across its rim. As he approached it, two red lights at the end of fin-like structures parted from the sides of the craft, and it tilted towards Barney, lifting his binoculars to his eye he spied a group of humanoid figures moving about with the precision of German soldiers. As the craft tilted downward and began to descend towards him, one of the strange creatures that remained at the window communicated a frightening message. Barney had the immediate impersonation that he was in danger of being plucked from the field. Overcome with fear and with all of the courage that he could muster, he tore the binoculars from his face and raced back to the car. Breathless, trembling, and in near hysterics, he told Betty that they needed to get out of there or they were going to be captured. As Barney rapidly accelerated down the highway in an attempt to escape from the craft, it shifted directly overhead. Suddenly, rhythmic buzzing tones seemed to be bouncing off the trunk of their vehicle as they sensed a penetrating vibration. They drove on without speaking until somewhere down the road, they heard a second series of buzzing sounds. Vague memories of encountering a roadblock, of seeing a huge fiery red orb, rested upon the ground and feeling a desire for human contact preoccupied their thoughts. They looked for an open restaurant to no avail, so they drove on through Concord, picked up Route 4, and made a beeline to Portsmouth, expecting to arrive at approximately 3am. The hills were surprised to notice that as they crossed into Portsmouth, the dawn was streaking in the sky east. They soon made it home, not long later. Betty, a prolific writer, chronicled much of her adult life in daily diaries and typewritten accounts. After her death more than 43 years later, there was an excerpt found in her diary in which she wrote, After we got home, we turned on the lights and we went over to the window and looked skyward. We stood there for several minutes. Then Barney said, this is the most amazing thing that has ever happened to me. We both wondered if they would come back. She recorded Barney's comment that their arrival time, shortly after 5am, was later than expected. We felt very calm, peaceful, relaxed. We sat at the kitchen table and looked at each other, shook our heads in puzzlement, and asked each other, do you believe what happened? We agreed that it was unbelievable, but it had really happened. We would return to the windows and look skyward. Barney said that he felt clammy, so he took a shower. Then, while Betty showered, Barney retrieved their personal articles from the car. She called out to him to leave them on the porch, and he agreed that it was a good suggestion. Moments later, they retired in an attempt to get some restorative sleep. When they awoke, Barney offered two suggestions. First, they would enter separate rooms and attempt to draw the object that they had observed. After they completed their drawings, they noted the uncanny similarity between them. They were remarkably alike in detail. Second, he suggested that they should refrain from ever telling anyone. Anticipating that because their experience was so fantastic, they would never be believed. Betty, a strong-willed, independent woman, promptly disagreed. Betty wrote, When we woke up in the afternoon, Barney asked me if they had the feeling they were still around. I agreed with him, and we watched the skies, going to the windows and looking up, going out on the back porch, looking, looking, and seeing nothing. It was beginning to rain. So Barney brought our belongings back into the back hall. Later that day, from her Kingston, New Hampshire home, Kathy overheard Betty's telephone conversation with her sister, Jeanette Miller. She was beginning to lose her feeling of peace and calm and was starting to feel an uneasiness. She felt that her sister, who observed an unconventional craft in the mid 1950s, might be the one person to whom she could tell her story without prejudice. Janet listened carefully, asking Betty questions throughout the conversation. Then she announced that she would check around and return her call in a few minutes. Excitement boiled through the Miller House as the word began to spread. Curious, Kathy prodded her mother for the details of the convention. Curious, Kathy prodded her mother for the details of the conversation. As she recounted it to those present in the room, she added that she had once witnessed an unconventional craft. She was returning home from a shopping trip when she observed a silent, blimp shaped craft hovering over an adjacent field. In amazement, She and the residents of a neighboring house watched as several similar smaller disc-shaped objects approached the craft from several directions and entered it. Then almost instantaneously, the mothership ascended vertically and disappeared from sight. This conversation was Kathy's introduction into the topic of flying saucers. Jeanette then phoned a neighbor whose husband was a physicist, seeking professional advice to convey to Betty. Coincidentally, a family friend, the former chief of police in neighboring Newton, New Hampshire, arrived on the scene. He advised that all UFO sightings should be reported to Peace Air Force Base. Moments later. Jeanette repeated to Betty the directions that she had received both from the family friend and from the physicist via his wife. He suggested that she conduct a simple experiment with the aid of a compass. She was to place the instrument near the car's metallic surface in several locations as she circled around it and reported her findings back to Jeanette. In her diary, Betty described what happened next. I took the compass and went out to the car. Barney refused to go, saying that he was trying to forget what happened. It was still raining, but I could see my car clearly under the streetlight in front of my home. I walked around it, holding the compass and not knowing what I was looking for. When I came to the trunk area, I saw many highly polished spots about the size of a half dollar or silver dollar. The car was wet from the rain, but these spots were clearly showing. I wondered what they were. I placed the compass over them and it began spinning and spinning. I thought it must be the way I was balancing the compass. So I placed it on the car and took my hand away. The compass was really spinning and continued to do this. As I was watching this, I was filled with an unexplained feeling of absolute terror. I was standing there in the rain, under the streetlight, and telling myself, Don't scream, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Everything is alright. After this, Betty went inside and tried to find comfort with Barney and telling him what had happened. Through months of weekly sessions of therapy, Therapist Simone helped the couple piece together what they think had happened. A vessel had landed on the hill's car, putting them to sleep. Afterward, grey beings walked them up a long ramp and into the spacecraft. Once inside, the hills were separated, taking turns in an examination room that had curved walls and a large light hanging from the ceiling. Each was asked to climb up on a metal table. The table was so short Barney's legs hung over the side. During the examinations, the beings removed Betty and Barney's clothes, plucked strands of their hair, took clippings of their nails, and scraped their skin. Each sample was placed on a clear material, not unlike a glass slide. Needles connected to long wires probed their heads, arms, legs, and spines. One large needle, around 4 to 6 inches long, was inserted into Betty's belly. This pregnancy test left her twisting in pain. Throughout a being Barney and Betty called the leader watched from the sides. After Betty's examination ended, the beings rushed back into her room, excited. They discovered that Barney's teeth could be removed. Betty laughed, explaining that Barney had dentures, a fact of human aging that the beings struggled to understand. Later alone with the leader, Betty asked where the craft had flown, admitting she knew little of the universe. The being joked with her saying, if you don't know where you are, there wouldn't be any point in telling you where I am. Later while under hypnosis, Betty was able to draw a star map shown to her on the ship. This map showed the position of our sun, and from that sun showed the position of where they were on the ship. Later astronomers were able to identify where this ship was. From this map, it showed that the star system that these ancient aliens belonged to were the Zeta-1 reticuli and Zeta-2 reticuli, or together simply known as Zeta reticuli. They are each 5th magnitude stars, barely visible to the unaided eye located in the obscure southern constellation Reticulum. This southerly sky location makes Zeta-Riculi invisible to observers north of Mexico City's latitude. Does this mean that there are creatures inhibiting a planet of Zeta-2? Did they visit Earth in 1961? The map indicates that the sun has been visited occasionally. What does that mean though? while further study and measurement of the stars in the map and their change in relative positions needs to be made. The fact that this entire incident hinges on a map drawn under less than normal circumstances keeps us from drawing a firm conclusion. Exobiologists are united in their opinion that the chance of us having neighbors so similar to us apparently located so close, is vanishingly small. But then we don't even know for certain if there's anybody at all out there, anywhere, despite the hill's map and pronouncements of the most respected scientists. The only answer is to continue the search. Someday perhaps soon, we will know. So that was the story of Betty and Barney Hill. Whether the story is true or not, it sure strikes some fascination and wonder in the listener. But there is something that seeks to answer this question. The Fermi Paradox. The Fermi Paradox seeks to answer the question of where the aliens are. Given that our star and Earth are part of a young planetary system compared to the rest of the universe, and that interstellar travel might be fairly easy to achieve, the theory says that Earth should have been visited by aliens already. As the story goes, Italian physicist Enrico Fermi Most famous for creating the first nuclear reactor, came up with the theory with a casual lunchtime remark in 1950. The implications, however, have had extraterrestrial researchers scratching their heads in the decades since. Fermi realized that any civilization with a modest amount of rocket technology and an immodest amount of imperial incentive could rapidly colonize the entire galaxy. The Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence SETI, Institute in Mountain View, California, said on its website, within 10 million years, every star system could be brought under the wing of Empire. 10 million years may sound long, but in fact it's quite short compared with the age of the galaxy which is roughly 10,000 million years. Colonization of the Milky Way should be a quick exercise. We observe that no intelligent beings from outer space are now present on Earth, Hart wrote in the abstract. It is suggested that this fact can be best explained by the hypothesis that there are no advanced civilizations in our galaxy. He noted, however, that more research in biochemistry, planetary formation, and atmospheres was needed to better narrow down the answer. While Hart was more of the opinion that we were the only advanced civilization in the galaxy, he argued that in Earth's history somebody could have visited us already unless they started their journey less than two million years ago. He outlined four arguments exploring the paradox. Number one, aliens never came because of a physical difficulty that makes space travel infeasible, which could be related to astronomy, biology, or engineering. Number two, aliens just never chose to come to Earth. Number three, advanced civilizations arose too recently for aliens to reach us. Number 4. Aliens have visited Earth in the past, but we have not observed them. The argument has been challenged on many grounds. Maybe star travel is not feasible, or maybe nobody chooses to colonize the galaxy. Or maybe we were visited long ago and the evidence is buried within the dinosaurs. But the idea has become entrenched in thinking about alien civilization wrote Fermi paradox researcher Robert H. Gray in a 2016 Scientific American blog post. Frank Tipler, a professor of physics at Tuiling University, followed up on the arguments in 1980 with a paper titled Extraterrestrial Intelligent Beings Do Not Exist, also published in the RAS Quarterly Journal. The bulk of his paper dealt with how to get resources for interstellar travel, which he suggested could be achieved by having some kind of self-replicating artificial intelligence moving from star system to star system and create copies using materials there. Since these beings aren't on Earth, Tipler argued we are likely the only intelligence out there. He also said that those who believe in extraterrestrial intelligence are similar to those who think about UFOs, because both camps believe we are going to be saved from ourselves by some miraculous interstellar intervention. Today, the topic of interterrestrial intelligence is a popular one, with several papers appearing every year from different researchers. It's also been fueled by the discovery of exoplanets. The universe is incredibly vast and old. One estimate says the universe spans 92 billion light years in diameter, while growing faster and faster. Separate measurements indicate it is about 13.82 billion years old. At first blush, this would give alien civilizations plenty of time to propagate, but then they would have a cosmic distance barrier to cross before getting too far into space. Fermi first formed his theory long before scientists found planets outside of our solar system. There are now more than 3,000 confirmed planets, with more being found frequently. The sheer number of planets that we have found outside of our solar system indicates that life could be plentiful. Over time with more advanced telescopes, scientists will be able to probe the chemical compositions of their atmospheres. The eventual goal is to understand how rocky planets form in the habitable regions of their stars which is traditionally defined as the zone in which water can exist on the surface. Habitability, however, isn't just about water. Other factors must be considered, such as how active the star is and what the composition of the planet's atmosphere is. A November 2013 study using data from the Kepler Space Telescope suggested that one in five sun-like stars has an earth-sized planet orbiting in the habitable region of its star. That zone is not necessarily though an indication of life, as other factors such as the planet's atmosphere come into play. Further life could encompass anything from bacteria to starship sailing extraterrestrials. A few months later. Kepler scientist released a planet bonanza of 715 newly discovered worlds, pioneering a new technology called verification by multiplicity. The theory essentially postulates that a star that appears to have multiple objects crossing its face or tugging at it would have planets, as opposed to stars. A multiple star system at such close proximity would destabilize over time," the technique postulates. Using this will accelerate the pace of exoplanet discovery, NASA said in 2014. Researchers previously focused on red dwarf stars as possible hosts for habitable planets, but as the years of study continued, limitations arose. It was exciting to find nearby planets such as Proxima Centauri b and the seven rocky planets of Trappist 1 in the regions of their stars where liquid water could exist on the planet's surface. The trouble is red dwarfs are violet and could send several forms of life-killing radiation towards the surface. More study is required to better understand these stars. But More exoplanet hunting spacecrafts are coming online in the next few years. The Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite (TESS) launched successfully in April 2018 to study nearby stars. NASA's James Webb Space Telescope, expected to launch in 2020, will examine planets for chemical makeup of their atmospheres. The European space agency PLATO, Planetary Transit and Oscillations of Stars, is expected to launch in 2026. And larger ground-based observatories are also being envisioned, such as the European Extremely Large Telescope that should see first light around 2024. Our understanding of astrobiology, life in the universe, is just at the beginning. However, one challenge is these exoplanets are so far away, and that it is next to impossible for us to send a probe out to look at them. Another obstacle is even within our own solar system. We haven't eliminated all the possible locations for life. We know from looking at Earth that microbes can survive in extreme temperatures and environments, giving rise to theories that we could find microbe life on Mars, the icy Jovian moon Europa, or perhaps Saturn's Encletus or Titan. All of this together means that even with our own Milky Way galaxy, the equivalent of the cosmic neighborhood, there should be many Earth-sized planets in habitable zones that could host life. But what are the odds of these worlds having starfarers in their bounds? While the Fermi paradox question has baffled scientists for decades, there are some new insights that could help researchers better understand why aliens have been so hard to find. In 2015, a study looked at the likelihood of a world evolving with a habitable environment using data from the Hubble Space Telescope and Kepler Space Telescope. It suggests Earth was an early bloomer. Even though the study excluded intelligent life, the study suggests that our planet's birth came very early in the universe's history. When Earth was formed about 4.6 billion years ago, the study said only 8% of the potentially habitable planets that will ever form in the universe existed. In other words, most of the material available to form habitable planets is still around, giving lots of time for alien civilizations to form. So until more evidence of aliens comes out, we keep wondering. Sightings and personal accounts can only hold so much weight. With each sighting, we do get closer to the truth. But until then, keep your eyes to the skies, report any sightings you do see, and if you get abducted like Barney and Betty Hill did back in 1961, good luck. There are many more encounters to go over, so look out for another episode coming up in the near future only on higher theories. I want to thank everyone for sticking around to the end, If you want to watch more episodes of Higher Theories, you can catch us on Instagram, Spotify, YouTube, Apple and Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and anywhere else you listen to your favorite podcast. If you want to help out, a five-star or quick review or sharing it with your friends helps the most. Thank you, and stay strange.